So we are continuing now in this journey through Genesis. It's all about story. And I have a little bit of story I'd like to share with you from the beginning. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever received a call that has changed the direction of your life? Have you ever received a call that has changed the direction of your life? I'm going to speak to two specific calls in my life, but when we think about this, we, we may go a lot of different places. Uh, for some of us, it's like it's that call that maybe we, we, you think back and, I got the job, or we got the house, or uh, you hear the announcement of a birth or something like that. And for others, there can be calls that change our lives in ways that we don't want. When we hear a call from the doctor, there can be significant changes in our lives as a result of calls. But I want to speak to two calls, but I want you to be thinking about a call that can change the direction of your life. Now, for me, this call, this one call was, uh, that I was drawn to was a call that I remember very clearly, and it was over 32 years ago. And it was a call that I made, actually, that ended up changing the direction of my life. It was initiated by what seemed to be a chance encounter, which, which we're confident is actually the work of God. Um, but my, my sister was um, in a Christian bookstore in Lancaster. And uh, she was there with her family, and she hears somebody calling out, Brittany, Brittany. And uh, they, my sister has a daughter, Brittany. So it ended up bringing connection between two mothers who happened to know each other. They both have daughters, Brittany, happened to know each other many, many, many years ago. So it's uh, my sister bumped, bumped into Danielle. Danielle was somebody who had lived in this area with her family and uh, had moved to Lancaster County uh, about 12 years prior, 12 or 13 years prior. Um, so anyhow, in the course of this conversa conversation, my sister sees Danielle and her younger sister, Joelle. And as a result of that chance encounter, my sister says, Mark, you need to call Joelle. She grew up. So Joelle was nine last time I had seen her, and uh, now a few years later. So, so I made a call, and uh, it wasn't on the phone like this. This was 30-some years ago. So I think the phone actually had a cord on it and a little hook switch. But I made a call, and uh, I was able to talk to Joelle on the phone. And while I'm talking to her, all of a sudden, the phone just, it, the call ends. And I looked, and my niece, uh, Brittany, her sister Courtney, had hung up the phone. It hit the hook switch, so I had to make a call back and give an explanation. But that call led to a first date, and that date led to a developing relationship, which led to an engagement and a marriage. That call changed the direction of my life and Joelle's life, and it affected many other lives. So that was a call that changed the direction of my life. There's another call that was not a phone call, but it was a call that's... Um, has some parallels, uh, maybe more so, to what we're going to be looking at today in Scripture. Um, about a year after we were married, uh, I was very involved in, the, in volunteering at the church, and I uh, was working as an engineer. We were volunteering, ministering to youth as uh, lay youth leaders with, a, with another couple. And uh, one of the things I did also, I volunteered with sound, running sound system. So it was a Sunday evening before the service, and I took the microphone back to our pastor. I'm handing him the microphone, and he asked me this question. He said, question. he said, Mark, what would you think about leaving your engineering job and coming on staff here at the church? And that's about how I responded. <laughs> I hadn't even considered it. It, wasn't, it was the furthest. It was just never on my radar. Uh, but that became a call that Pastor Harris deposited in my life 
there wasn't an immediate response. There was a time of discerning and just uh, seeing how God put things in order. But um, probably about nine months or so later, I left my job and, and came on staff at the church. And um, that was over 30 years ago now. It was a call that changed the direction of my life. And what we're going to be looking at today is the call of Abram. We're going to be looking at his story, and we're going to see how God called him and how it changed the direction of his life and the impact that that change had. And what we're going to do is then and just be asking God that he would show us that, that, that we would hear his call for us individually and how today he was speaking. He is speaking. He is speaking. And he is desiring to lead us in a fresh new direction with him. So I'm gonna pray a prayer of invitation. I just want to invite you uh, to, uh, to pray along with me in your heart. And this prayer is, is simply this. Uh, again, we've already spoken the, the name of Jesus, the power of that name. We're gonna pray that God would give us ears to hear what he is speaking to us personally and individually, okay? Father, thank you. God, that you are God and that there is none like you. God, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you reign over all, that nothing happens by accident. God, we thank you, Lord, that you love us with a love that goes beyond our comprehension. We thank you, Lord, that you have manifested your love in so many ways. And ultimately, God, we thank you for the way that you have shown us your love through Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your life, for giving your life for us, that we can be yours. And we thank you that you've sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is here to speak to us to empower us, to give us clarity. And God, I pray over each one of us, that every one of us, Lord, would be open to your word to us individually today. And God, as we are together in worship corporately, we pray, God, for a fresh word uh, to us as your body. God, we thank you again so much that you speak, God, and that your voice, your call, changes the direction of our lives. So Lord, have your way in us. God, I pray that the words that I would speak would be from you, that you would lead and guide me. And I pray, God, again, for ears to hear, God, for hearts to receive, God, what you're desiring to speak to each one of us. God, and we pray this, Lord, that you would be glorified. Jesus, that you would be lifted up. Jesus, that your name would be proclaimed with our lips and with our lives in a greater way. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. So as we've been going through Genesis, we laid the foundation right from the beginning that Genesis is about story. It's about God's story and it's about our story. And we see this intersection so clearly. And the beautiful things that we've seen in, in Genesis, again, so often we're, we're gonna see this, we're gonna see it today, but, but how God is pursuing mankind. God created us in his own image and we are prone to wander. But God is pursuing us, he comes after us, and he is desiring for our story to come in alignment with his story in a way that brings glory and honor to him. And as he is glorified more and more in our lives, we discover a fullness of living that goes beyond what we can comprehend. Last week, Pastor Ben shared with us from chapter 11 where we talked about the Tower of Babel. And in the, at the Tower of Babel, we saw that mankind had this in their hearts. They were unified, but they were unified in an act that was actually against God because their desire was to make a name for themselves, to lift themselves up. And their understanding of God, they obviously didn't worship the one true God, but their understanding was God, of God is that God was somebody who needed mankind and that could be manipulated. They had power, but man could manipulate God. And God said, 
Let's be done with this. So God sent down languages that dispersed the people at Babel. And if you remember, the tower that was being built was actually a ziggurat, which is a, 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 an avenue of worship that was a connection between the false gods and man. And God said, no, I, I, want, to, I, I'm desiring, I want you to see the one true God. And he was saying that, that man needs to have heart after me first. Things only come in order when they're in the right order. Things can only be uh, proper when they're in the order that God has designed. And so that God would be seen first and foremost, supreme over all. And that, that man would understand that God is for them. That, that, God, that God is the one who, who has a heart for them and is desiring to minister to their need. And ultimately, the greatest need is to know him. Now, what's going to happen here is that we're going to uh, see a very, very significant transition as we move from Genesis chapter 11 to Genesis chapter 12. If you look at what we've, what we've walked through so far, there are four key events that we've looked at as we've walked through Genesis 1 through 11. Starts with creation. Creation is, again, things in their perfection. The, you know, when you see heaven on earth, you see it in Genesis chapter one and, chapters 1 and 2. That God created things for the goodness of man. All provision was with man. There was open fellowship between God and man. Things, things are as, as they were designed to be. So that's the first significant event. The sec second significant event is the fall. And it's when man listened to a lie of Satan, believed the lie, acted on the lie, and the fall came. That there's separation between man and God because man failed to trust God and to believe his word. So the fall is the second significant event. The third is the flood. So that's where we saw that, that the, the evil, evil of man became so great that God said there needs to be a purging, there needs to be a cleansing. And the flood came as a judgment and God brought and saved a people out. He redeemed Noah and his family so that eight were spared. And, and God with this brought a covenant that again never would the earth be destro destroyed by water again. And then the fourth major event that we looked at was last week, and it was the Tower of Babel, which we've just discussed. So these are four events from Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Now we're going to shift from key events to key people. And the first one that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be looking at Abram, who becomes Abraham. But in this part, until his name is changed a little bit later, he's Abram. But we're going to be looking at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So the rest of Genesis is going to be focusing on these four key, key people, and we're going to see how God is continuing to tell his story and man's story through these lives. And you're going to see how as these people walk, we can learn from them. We can learn more about God, about the character, the nature of God, and how God is desiring to write his story afresh in a deep way in our lives. Now, what I want to make sure that you understand is this, is that we are not leaving Genesis 1 through 11. And that, that lays a foundation that's important for us to understand the rest of Genesis and the rest of Scripture. That the foundation that is laid in the beginning of Genesis is key and critical. In fact, I've, I've said before is that I often go back to those first three chapters of Genesis because it puts in perspective the, the, the full nature of mankind, of our circumstances, of our fall, but then also of God's provision. Uh, so again, we're not leaving Genesis 1 to 11, but there's a significant shift now that we're going to be focusing on these four key people. So today's text, we're going to be looking at the entirety of uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, but first we're going to read the first nine verses. Uh, so you can follow along as the scriptures are on the screen, or you can follow along on your device. I am reading from the NIV. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse one. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. They arrived there. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward Negev. So we're going to be tracking along with this call of Abram. And as we do, I would like you to keep this saying in mind. From George Morrison, he made this statement. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. So when we look at that, you probably are thinking, well, it's obvious a new beginning happens when we become a Christian, when we step into a personal relationship with God through faith. And that absolutely is the most important beginning in all of our lives. But the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings, of new starts, of fresh setting out, of moving forward, of hearing a call from God and taking a step in obedience to that. So I want you to be thinking about that as we're we're tracking through Abram's call and what's going to happen in this chapter. As we think about this, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 first, just the single verse. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now what's happening here at the very beginning of chapter 12, there's actually, it's a backtrack into the end of chapter 11. Because at the end of, if we look at after the Tower of Babel, there's a listing of genealogy again. And this is Shem, one of Noah's sons, his genealogy is being traced from Shem to Abram. Okay, so there's this connection. That connection is important because Noah had prophesied that through Shem, the nations of the earth would be blessed, that there was a blessing that was upon Shem. So there's this connection, this bridge that is built between Shem and and Abram, and that's happening in chapter 11. But also there's a setting out that is explained at the end of chapter 11. And this now is giving the reason, giving the call that initiated that setting out. So at the end of chapter 11, beginning with verse 31, Uh, We had read this, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. So this then is explaining in in verse 12-1 why they set out, what initiated this journey and this travel. Now, 
one thing that you may have noticed is that Terah died at 205 years old. Now, this is a huge difference when people lived, used to live almost 1,000 years old to now the lifespan was, was dropping. So there's a significant difference because like when we talk about now of Abraham being 75 and being a father at 100, that's, that's really significant because the lifespan is shifting closer to lifespans that we have today. So, so there is significance there. And this happened after the flood. Again, remember Noah lived over 900 years, but now 10 generations later, lifespans are being reduced into the hundreds and will be, continue to be reduced after this. So that age aspect is important. But what, what we want to see is that Abram was called out of a pagan, pagan culture. That Ur of the Chaldees, that, that place was a place that worshipped um, primarily the moon god, which is interesting because the moon god was considered to be a supreme god to the pe- those, those people and was considered to be a god of fertility. And isn't it interesting that Sarai was barren? She could not conceive. But Abram was being called out of a pagan lifestyle. And even when they went to Haran, that, that, that was, uh, again, places that worshipped other gods. And, and scripture, even in Joshua 24, it says that, that Abram and his father, that they worshipped other gods. They were called out of the worship of false gods. The, the call came to Abram when he was in that place. But what was the call? He said, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, what we want to applaud is that Abram left. He left where he was, and he was moving toward the place that God God would show him to Canaan. But there are some things right from the start that it's important that we realize. Again, that he was called from his country. He left his country. He's called from his people and his father's household. Did he do that? And when we look at Scripture, we can see that Abram was not completely obedient right from the beginning. Now, I'm not saying this to throw stones at Abram. In fact, just the opposite. We're going to see in this, today that, that God is not hesitant in showing the faults of the patriarchs. God is not hesitant. And, and I've thought about this. Like, I wonder how Abram feels about this. Like, you read your biography that God wrote, and it's like, God, did you really have to include that? But, you know, I, I, I believe we can talk to, to Abraham later. Uh, when we get to the other side, I believe that, that, that the patriarchs are fine with their full story being revealed the way it is. Why? Because it gives glory and honor to God. You know, there's something, and we've been talking about this uh, a, a lot, and we've been experiencing this in deeper way in confessional communities, that, that when we bring the true us to the surface, it gives an opportunity for the, 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 the negative things, the, the places where we fall short in lives, it gives opportunity for that to be revealed so it can be healed. And there's something that, again, not with, not with just confession. Confession is important, but with testimony. And that's what we're going to see over and over again in the patriarchs, this, this sequence of, of God calling and of them moving, but then them falling and then them getting back up and God helping them, showing grace over and over again. And there's such a beauty when we will allow the things where we fall short to be seen because then we give opportunity for God's, the testimony of God's great work in us to be seen. So there were things that, that Abram didn't do right about this. Again, he'd left his land, but he didn't leave his family. They went with him. In fact, he didn't even go all the way to, to Canaan. With his dad, they stopped at Haran, and, they, and that's like 500 miles from Canaan is my understanding, that they stopped short on the way. And they stayed there until Terah, his father, passed away. Then they went and went in the journey. So again, there's a following, but it's not a following of perfection, and we're not throwing stones. But it's important that we see this.
What's so important that we see, too, is that God's call was a call in grace to a sinner who responded in faith. That God's call was a call in grace to a sinner, Abram, who responded in faith. And that gives us great hope. Abram moved in faith. Even though he stopped on the way, he was moving and he was progressing in the way. And here's what I would like us to see along with this. That we're looking at the call that came to Abram's life. We want to see that the call of God is his grace extended to us personally. Now, I want you to think, like, and I don't know what the world population was at, at that time, but of all the people on the planet, God chose one person to give this call to. Of all the people on the planet, God said, Abram, I'm going to call you. That's God's grace, his sovereignty that is reaching out specifically to an individual. Now, what he does, he calls Abram from a land, but to another land. He calls, calls Abram from a family, but he's going to give him a much greater family. In fact, through him, the world will be blessed. I mean, an incredible family. And when God calls us from things, we often see how he gives us other things. But sometimes that doesn't happen on this side. So I need this side of eternity. I can guarantee you whatever we leave, whatever we leave behind for the sake of the gospel will be rewarded. In fact, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, we know in this one passage in Mark chapter 10 where there's this conversation with a, with a rich man. And Jesus calls him, he says, sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. That was a specific call to that man. He went away sad. He wasn't at that place where he was ready to leave what he had in this world for the sake of eternal things. The disciples right after that said, but master, we've left all. And the promise of Jesus was that you will be rewarded in this life and in any eternity. So when we, when, we, when we hear the call, understand that this is the goodness of God being extended to us, that he is, he is speaking to us and he is calling us from what is temporal to what is eternal. He's calling us from something that, that is limited to what is unlimited in him. It's his personal call of grace to us. So who does God call? His call is going out to all. His heart is that all would hear and that all would receive. And so many times we can feel, yeah, but I'm not good enough. Well, let's look at Abram. Was it an issue of his goodness? Was it an issue of his perfection in responding to the call? No, it was God's grace. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul tells the Corinthian church this. He said, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are, are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Do you feel that you are in a place in your life where God couldn't possibly call me? I've done too much. I'm stuck too deep. There's no way that God would want me. Scripture says otherwise. 
His call is going out to all. There's nothing that you have done that can push away the call of God to come to him. There's no place that you are stuck that is beyond his call. His call is to all. In fact, sometimes the more broken we are, the, the, the more beautiful, again, his call comes into our lives. Don't allow shame to hold you and to trap you where you are. Hear that he is calling to you. Respond to his call. God's first and foremost call. When we look at Abram, we're looking at him being called from a land and from a people to a new land and to start a new nation. God's first and foremost call for all of us, though, is always to come to him. His first and foremost call. You know, we can get caught up in like, God, what is the direction that you want us to go? And, and we, can, we can and should be asking this in measure throughout our lives. God, what would you have for me next? Where would you have me to go? What would you have me to do? These are important questions and they need to be brought before God over and over again. But the first and highest call for all of us is that we would come to God and that we would be daily transformed more and more into the image of Christ. That's our highest and greatest call is that we would be made new in Christ and again have new beginning after new beginning after new beginning in him. That's sanctification. So God's highest call in each one of our lives is to him and to being transformed more and more into his image. This is God's call for all of us. Let's move on to the next couple of verses. This is specifically the call that God gives to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is a covenant statement. And we had talked back uh, when we looked at the covenant that God made with Noah, we had looked at covenant and given this definition that a covenant is a chosen relationship in which binding promises are made. Covenant is a, is a chosen relationship in which binding promises are made. Now, what we're looking at is the covenants that God makes with man. Um, many scholars believe that, that there was covenant that was made in the Garden of Eden. There was definitely covenant that was specifically stated as covenant that was made with Noah. That covenant was for the protection of the earth from a flood. That, that covenant was with all of creation, unconditional covenant. Uh, here we're looking at the covenant with Abraham or Abram, it becomes Abraham. But, but this covenant is gonna be, be building because we're having it presented here, but then we're gonna see in, in uh, Genesis chapter 15 that it's gonna be a ceremonial presentation of this covenant. In, in chapter 17, there's gonna be a sign of the covenant. And whereas the sign of the covenant for Noah was a rainbow, the sign of the covenant uh, with Abram is very different. Men, it's gonna be a hard, hard day. Um, so, uh, so that... But there's a sign of the covenant. So this is all covenant. It's God's binding promises with those that, that he is in relationship. It's him to us, him to mankind. And there are conditions with covenants and there, there are portions that are unconditional. And, we'll see, and what that means is that some parts of the covenant we can only walk in as we walk in obedience. And if we fall from obedience, then, then that we do not come under that blessing. We do not, we withdraw ourselves. But there are other parts of covenants and covenants that are unconditional. Meaning, regardless of what we do, this is going to be fulfilled. So again, no, the covenant with Noah is unconditional. No matter what mankind does, God will never destroy the earth by flood again. Okay? So that's what we're looking at with covenant. 
But what we, what we need to see is that as we walk through these covenants, as you look at the covenants through the Old Testament, what God is doing over and over again is he's revealing his character to mankind. He's showing his goodness. He's showing who he is. He's desiring that man would know him truly as the God that he is. And when you look at this covenant, it is so filled with blessing. Everything is blessing. You look at the grace of God, again, that is being poured out to this man who came from a heathen culture. So look at what, what God is telling Abram. First thing, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now here again, like Abram, I, I don't know how, like he's responding to this call, but I don't even know how he wrapped his mind around that because he knew that he did not have children but yet he was going to be made into a great nation. Like, like I, don't know, I don't know what questions he must have had, but here is the thing is that, that God was declaring, I will make you into a great nation and there will be blessing upon you. Now that blessing is to come under the care, the protection, and the favor of God. So this is the beauty of what um, of what God is pouring out. And as, as you remember, uh, Ben last week said that Abram, the, his very name, means exalted father. He's gonna be given a new name that means father of many nations. So, I mean, th there is this blessing that is being poured out to, to Abram that's going beyond his reality, okay? Next thing, I'm going to make your name great. Now, we talked about this last week, that man at Babel wanted to make their own name great. But yet here, God is saying, I'm going to make your name great. Huge difference. Us trying to build ourselves up versus we humble ourselves before God and allow him to lift us up. I will make you a blessing. So the blessing was to come to Abram, but the blessing was also to go through Abram. I will make you a blessing. That means through his life, others will be blessed. And with this also came protection and honor. He said, those that, that bring blessing toward you, I'm gonna bless those that curse you, I'm gonna curse. And that's the divine favor and protection of God. And it's almost, I kept thinking of boomerang. I don't know, like, kind of like whatever somebody throws at Abram, it's what's coming back. You know, if it's a blessing, a blessing's gonna come back to them. If it's a curse, a curse is going to come back. And there's something in that that is part of one of the universal laws of, of sowing and reaping, right? Like, as we sow, we're going to reap. But God is specifically applying this to Abram, the one that he has called. Who blesses you will be blessed, who curses you will be cursed. And then finally, this incredible statement, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. How is that possible through one person? Think about that. God's establishing covenant with Abram and he's saying all peoples, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, as I was thinking about that, like, like this was not even saying, like limiting it, saying like all peoples that live now. I, I'm fully convinced that this statement was all peoples that live ever are gonna be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. This is a God-sized thing that, that again, you know, we're looking at this thousands of years later and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. How in the world, like did Abram have any idea just how great this was? He saw something in it. 
because he believed it. He acted according to it. He was believing God. And here's how this can apply to us, is that we need to see that, that covenants are God's promises that are fully trustworthy. When God says it, whatever he says, when God says it, it's true. Without a doubt, God cannot lie. And we need to stand in confidence on his word that when he speaks a word, regardless of how impossible it may seem, regardless if, if there's any human way to possibly imagine how this can be true, that doesn't matter. It's true because God said it. And God is desiring for us to have such a confidence in his word. When we read his word, we accept it and we say, God, I don't, I don't, this seems absolutely impossible. But you said it, so I need to believe it. I know, God, that your word is trustworthy. He cannot fail. He has not lied. He cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. When we embrace his word in this way, we're given fresh life. We're given fresh hope. Because hope rises when I'm in a situation, I don't see an answer, but I see God. When I'm facing something and I can't figure out how to get through, how to get around, but I see God. And we embrace his word and we know that he is trustworthy and that he is true. This saying, when I read it, gripped me so, so strongly, is that we are not saved by making promises to God, but by, but by believing God's promises to us. Do you hear that? We are not saved by making promises to God. God, you know, I'll do this if. We're not saved by making promises to God. We are saved by hearing and receiving his promises to us. His promises are true. They're steadfast. They are sure. But we need to be hearing. We need to be hearing the word of God. How does faith come? Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing the word. Right? That faith comes by hearing the word. So we need to be hearing what God is saying to us and stand, that is, stand on it. That is trustworthy. And we're going to take these next a few verses, and we're going to see Abram's response to this, to this word. Beginning with verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, which many people believe that they're proselytes, it's not saying servants or anything like that, but the people that they acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morat Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham, Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. So we're seeing that Abram responded to that word, that he finished, he left Haran where he had stopped with his dad. And he went on to Canaan and they went into the land and they began to, to see with their eyes what God had promised to him. Now he did this 
Again, 75 years old when he left Haran. This is significant. Not some young buck, okay? And anybody that's 75 or older, I'm not saying you're not young. It's like, <laughs> believe me, 75 sounds younger every day. Uh, but he's 75 years old and he's setting out in obedience to the word of God. And he's going to a land that is already possessed by others. Canaanites lived in the land. But he's moving in obedience to God's word. The word gave him confirmation and appeared to him again when he arrived and said, this is the land. This is the land that I've given to you. Abraham built an altar in worship to the Lord. What I'd like us to see together here is that commitment to God's call leads us to living his plan for our lives. Commitment to God's call leads us to living his plan for our lives. So commitment to the call doesn't mean I'm just hearing. Doesn't mean I'm just taking it in. It doesn't mean that, that yes, I perceive and I receive that word. Commitment to God's call says that I am acting in obedience and response to what the word of God has been spoken, has spoken to me. It's a commitment. It's, le- it's, it's walking it out. It's leading us to, 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 to take the word that he has spoken to us and allow it be to, to become the reality that we are walking in, that we discover his plan for our lives. Now, they were strangers in this land. They were pilgrims. That's shown by the tent. And they were worshipers of God immediately. They built, they built an altar. And you think about what, what that must have looked like. We don't know exactly, what, like, again, if it doesn't say that, that there was animal sacrifice on the altar or anything like that. But it says that they built altars in worship to God which means they were acknowledging coming into this land as strangers, pilgrims and strangers. We're living in tents, but this is, this is God's land. We're acknowledging him. We're proclaiming him. And the people there would have probably looked at it and said, well, there's an altar, but where's the idol? Right? Because others would have been idol worshipers. But that altar was built to the Lord. It was for his, it's for his glory to proclaim him and to point upward that, that their trust, their God, was in the one who is over all, creator of heaven and earth. But we're seeing again that, that they were moving in obedience to what God had said. There's, there's action words throughout this passage. If you look, it's like they went, they took, they traveled, they built, they set out. New beginnings, new steps. There's action to their faith. It's putting in, into their feet what they were hearing with their ears and what they were believing with their heart. Now, the second half of James, in fact, I, I just want to encourage you. I wasn't sure when I was going to make this deposit. I want to encourage you to read through James this week. I was drawn to chapters 2, 3, and 4, and there's only two other chapters. So it's five chapters. But, but I want to encourage you to, um, to, to be reading through James this week. The second half of, of James chapter 2 speaks very strongly to this very thing. Is that, that when we believe something, if we truly believe it, it has to show in what we do or we don't believe Like, we are not working for our salvation. We can't. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. We receive our salvation by faith, and if we truly believe, it's going to work out in our lives. Does that make sense? That if I claim I believe, if if I say, I believe that if I step off this stage, I'm not going to drop two and a half feet, I can say that all I want, but until I take that step, I'm not exercising faith. I'm not doing an Indiana Jones thing, just so you know. Um, (laughs) Some flashbacks there. Um, 
But, but like I can say I believe something, but until I actually step into it and begin to walk it out, I'm not, I, I don't have faith. In fact, James, at the, in James it says that faith without works is dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works. Is that we have to put our faith into action or it is not faith. And what we're seeing with Abram over and over here, here is faith in action. It's this commitment to walk out God's plan. And, and you know, God's gonna say the word, he's gonna give the prompting, but it's up to us to move. Now he's gonna give us the power, he's gonna give us the gift of faith, he's gonna give us what we need to accomplish his word, but we've got to move. We're the ones that are called. We're the ones that, that if there's gonna be a new beginning, we need to respond. We need to walk in his way. Now we're going to move on to this last half of the chapter. And um, this part's really sad. I'll just say that. You know, I talked to earlier about how God doesn't, doesn't hide things about Abram and shortcomings. But yet, like everything that we've talked about has been amazingly good. You know, that, that uh, again, Abram's being called out of a pagan, pagan worship, of a, of a pagan country. He's been given a promise, this incredible promise by God. He's walking it out. He's, he, you know, it, it's, it's faith in action. Um, but we're going to see some pretty serious stumbles in the second half of the chapter. And so that part's sad. But what we need to see in this is that, man, I am so much like him. <laughs> right? That God shows us Abram so that we can see ourselves and God more clearly. That like, we, we often begin in a strong way and then stumble. And we need to be careful because when we stumble, we can, we can come to this place where we feel like I've, just, I've disqualified myself. I'm no good. God would never trust me again. But I want you to see something, is that throughout the patriarchs, this isn't just what we're looking at today. It's gonna to be repeated with Abram. It's gonna be repeated with the other patriarchs. That there is this, the beauty of the blessing and then there's the jeopardy of the falling. And then there's the beauty of the blessing. And this is gonna happen back and forth throughout the patriarchs' lives. And that points again to what we said from the very beginning. That the, the, the victorious Christian life is about new beginnings. That doesn't mean, you know, you know, Scripture does talk about going from glory to glory to glory. Yes, you know, when we experience the good, you know, receive that good and understand that there's even better ahead. And when we receive that, understand there's even better ahead. But it also means, new beginnings means that, that, that when I fall, when I stumble, that this is an opportunity for God to lift me up and for him to be glorified, not because I failed, but because he still loves me when I failed. And he can give me power when I see my weakness. And he can lift me up and he can still shine brightly through me. I believe that, that, that we need to hear this. That even when we fail, even when we stumble, even when we fall, God is desiring to lift us up so that he can still shine brightly through us. Don't think that your failures disqualify you from being a follower of Christ. Your failures say that you are human. Now I'm not saying that we give excuse for sin. Our failures show us that we're human, that we're in the process of growing, and that we are being sanctified. But allow your failures to lead you to a deeper walk in Christ. Allow your failures to, to be the very avenue that God uses to lift you up and allow you to shine brightly for his kingdom.
So I've talked a lot about it. Let's look at it. Here's what happens. So again, Abram's walking in obedience to the Lord, and then something bad comes. There's a famine in the land. Now often, when there's blessing, when there's victory, there's a trial that follows. In fact, it's, you know, trials come, guaranteed. Just a matter of when and how, okay? But Abram, in the land that God gave to him, and he's standing in it, he's building altars in it, a famine comes to this land. Scripture says, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So it's not just like a, you know, hey, food shortage. This is a severe famine. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Okay, he may have said it that way. He was complimenting her. He was recognizing the beauty that she had. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is a sad account. It truly is. But it shows us something. It shows us this, that compromise comes when we trust ourselves more than God. Compromise comes when we trust ourselves more than God. Now, severe famine hit the land. Now, now I've wondered, like, like, what was God's, like, I don't know that he inquired of the Lord. It doesn't, scripture doesn't say anything about, like, when the famine came, you know, did Abram go before the Lord and say, God, what am I supposed to do? There's no record of that. It's possible, and I don't know this, but it's possible that had they stayed in Canaan, that God may have miraculously provided. I don't know that. But what Abram did is that he left the land of promise because of a famine, and he went down to Egypt. Egypt is representative of the world system, okay? When you go down, Jerusalem is considered a high place. When you leave Jerusalem, you're always going down, okay? When you go to Jerusalem, you're always ascending. So when it says he went down to Egypt, it doesn't just mean he goes south, like we go down to Baltimore or something. You know, not everybody does that, but uh, some people see it that way. It's not just a direction. It's talking about a descent from God's chosen land to the world system. And so easy for us when trouble comes to let's resort to the world system. How is the world going to take care of me, right? So let's not throw stones. You know, like how many times when we get in trouble do we find, try to find all these ways that we can get help and then we think, oh yeah, maybe I should pray. Anybody else there? It's our natural response. We count on the world system. We trust in the world systems because it's what we can see. So again, whether or not Abram was wrong in going to Egypt, we're going to see definite wrong when he goes to Egypt, right? 
that he compromises. Now, he had set up this plan beforehand. In fact, later in Genesis, we're going to see that he's going to do it again, just, okay? (laughs) He does it again, and then his son does it. The same thing, lying about his wife to protect himself. Now, like, sociologically, we don't know exactly what the, the culture said that made them think this way, that, like, if I say my wife is my sister, it's going to protect me. I don't know what was driving that, except it was true. I mean, it's exactly true. Because Abram was not only spared, but he was blessed by Egypt by saying, Sarah is my sister. Now, the thing is, is that there was, it's a half-truth. Half-truth is still a lie. Okay? A half-truth is still a lie. We need to understand that. Because Sarai was, in fact, his half-sister. But yet, he had spoken to Sarai and said, here's the way that you can show your love for me. This is recorded later in Genesis. Here's the way you can show your love for me. Wherever we go, say I'm your brother. Like, he's speaking to his wife this way. Now, husbands, shame on you if you ever consider anything like this. And wives, shame on you if you agree to anything like this. But, but this was really, I mean, it's, but here's what happens, though, is that we can allow fear and, and the desire for self-protection to lead us to do things that we should not do. We can allow fear and self-protection to lead us to say and to do things that we should not do. And that's when we're shifting again from God's agenda, from God's way, to his walk, to our own ideas, our own wisdom. How many of us are guilty of that? So the thing is, is that we're not defending what Abram did. We're looking at his life and seeing that there's a pattern here that we're gonna see again and again, and there's a pattern that we see when we look in the mirror. Now, what happened was, is that most people believe, as far as scholars, that Sarai it says that she was taken to be his wife, she would have been probably brought in to be part of, the, part of his harem. And in that process, there's a preparation time. So it's not that, that she actually had, had become intimate with, with Pharaoh or anything like that, but the process was in place. It was happening, okay? And this is pretty amazing too. Again, at her, you know, she's older in age, but she was beautiful to the point that Pharaoh was very interested in her and wanted to take her to be his own. But we look at what happens is that this lie that Abram tells doesn't just, it, it, yes, it protected him temporarily. But look at the devastation it brought. We're talking Pharaoh, the ruler of the land, and his household are smitten with disease because of Abram's lie. So many times we feel, feel that what we do only affects us. So many times we think that, that decisions we make even in private, that they're, they're, they're things that's just, it's just between us and God. In fact, a lot of times we leave God out of it. This is something that I'm doing and it's only me. It's not gonna affect anybody. But the reality is that decisions that we make in private and alone impact others and often in much greater ways than we can imagine. You know, I'm sure Abram never thought that me telling this lie is going to cause major disruption for the leaders of this kingdom. But it did. And what we say has so much power. Think about it. We've been creating the image of God. 
We come to this often, that God spoke and worlds came into beings. What we say has so much impact and so much power. In fact, I referenced James. If you look at James chapter three, it says this, that the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. In fact, early, earlier he says, if any per- person can control their tongue, everything else is good. Literally. I mean, that's what it's saying. That if you can control this thing, then your whole body is in control. This is the toughest member to control. So again, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Look in the mirror, stick out your tongue, and read that verse. This is the power, the influence in what we say. We need to guard it. And you know what? I cannot guard this on my own. I need the power of God. I need to hear what God is speaking to me and then surrender and say, God, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, accept the one in your sight. God, I cannot, I cannot control this. And we looked at last week, I, I really believe there's significance here. We looked at last week how God took the tongue the spoken word, and used it to disperse people who were against God. Then as Pastor Ben shared on the day of Pentecost, God uses the tongue to speak the glories, the praises of God in many languages. That there is the power in the tongue that is incredible. Life and death rest in what we say. And Abram, unfortunately, made some bad choices here. Now you can say, hey, in the end, it all worked out. Abram walked away richer, right? Like he got all the stuff given to him on Sarai's account. So he walked away and it's all good. You know what? It's never good when we leave a, a bad testimony. It's never good. You realize that he built altars in Canaan. He never built an altar to the Lord to glorify and proclaim God in Egypt. It's never good when we disgrace the name of God in any way. Never. And the other thing is the wealth, what he accumulated in Egypt, actually came back in his life later as hindrances. So what we can see was, hey, we moved forward. But if we're moving forward in the world and not moving forward in the kingdom of God, we're not moving forward. We can accumulate stuff, and Abram did. But what's going to happen? They're going to come back to the land. It's too much stuff for the land to handle. So they have to split up. Lot is drawn to pleasant places because of what he had seen in Egypt. It set his mind more on things that are horizontal than vertical. Many believe that Hagar, who was an Egyptian servant, may have been given to Abram in this time and will be a huge stumbling block and an impact on nations. Like, what we gain by being dishonest and not walking according to God's plan is never good. Wow, that's a downer to end on, isn't it? (laughs) We're not ending on that. Because God's story and man's story continues in Abram. Yeah, Abram made huge mistakes. He made huge mistakes here. But God did not abandon him. No matter how big the mistakes are that you have made, God has not abandoned you. He's given you breath this day so you can find a new beginning in him. 
He's brought you to this place to hear his word and to be impacted by his spirit so you can have a new beginning in him today. God does not abandon us when we fail. And Abram was not abandoned. God didn't say, hey, that covenant, I'm just going to erase this because you were a bad boy. No, he says, I'm going to fulfill my covenant still. And through you, all nations will be blessed. And what God was pointing to was the new covenant that would come in Christ. Jesus comes through Abram, through his descendants. We have the law that comes, the prophets that come through Abram, the same man. God redeems, God's grace continues to be poured out. And we have Christ who comes to us through Abram, through Christ. That's the fulfillment of the covenant. That through Abram, through you, all peoples of the world will be blessed. That's talking of Jesus. And that's the name that we proclaimed. That's the name that brings change to us, that brings life to us. That's the name that you need to hear spoken over your life right now. And I need to embrace afresh who he is, all that he is. Because he takes us from where we are and he leads us. To, uh, to seeing his plan fulfilled in our lives. So we're gonna point to this again. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. I want you to hear today a new beginning that God's speaking into your life. And maybe it is from something that is, that's a failure that you've walked in or maybe you're stuck in right now. God wants to give you a new beginning. Maybe you're in a good place, but God still has new beginnings for you. He's, he has more. He wants to take us from good to better, constantly, onward, new beginnings. So at the beginning, I ask you this question, have you ever received a call that has changed the direction of your life? I want to ask you right now, will you pick up the phone? God's calling you now. Every one of us. I prayed for myself, like, God, what, what's the fresh word you have for me today? What do you want to speak to me? I want a new beginning today. So will you hear the call? Will you trust God's word and then step in obedience? Will you commit to not compromise and fall back on your own will and your own thoughts, but trust God? You move forward. I'm going to ask if you would just bow your heads and just in the quietness. Listen for God's word to you. His first word, always, is I love you. You need to know God loves you. Nothing you can say or do will ever change that. God wants you to hear fresh, I love you. And he just wants to speak to you. Come to me. I think are words that we need to hear over and over again. Regardless of what you've done or haven't done, he's saying, I love you, come to me. And then I believe he's gonna be speaking some specific things to you. Things from his word, whatever he speaks is gonna be in agreement with, with the word of God. Things from his word, things that maybe you just need to receive and embrace afresh today. I want you to listen to his call to you right now. God, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
God, that you are, you are love. God, you, you don't depend on our goodness because we are not good. But Lord, you offer us goodness that can only be from you. So God, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you that you are a God who forgives, who separates from us our transgressions, and who gives us a fresh call moment by moment. And God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is active right now. I know your Spirit is always active. But God, as we prayed over this time, God, we, I, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is active and that you're speaking to us individually. And God, we thank you that you do that in a corporate setting because we are together members of your body. God, I thank you that you do speak personally and, and specifically. So God, right now, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to hear the word that you're speaking to us and to commit to respond in obedience to your word. Whatever you're speaking to us as it, is, as it aligns with your word, God, lead us, give us the power to walk in obedience and to not to trust in our own way, but to trust you completely. God, I thank you for the miracles like right now that are happening within people's hearts, within their minds, and what will happen, Lord, as we walk in obedience to what you've said. And God, in and through all this, we just desire that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, that you would be supreme over all. God, in our lives, in this body, in the body of Christ, Jesus, be magnified, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now, Friends, this is not a time to move from, but to move into. We're gonna sing a song of worship to, to Jesus and focus on him. And as he's been speaking to you, I just want, want to encourage you, be focused up and receive the word that God has spoken. Be open to the word that he is speaking. And through the power of God, allow him to, to lead you in the next right step, in the new beginning that he has for you today. So if you would like to, you're more than welcome to stand. If you'd like to sit, to kneel, whatever you would like to do, I just want to invite you to continue to press in and worship the name of Jesus. Jesus.